Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello and welcome to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory Pine here at the Thomistic Institute, and I'm joined by Father Patrick Briscoe at St. Pius V Parish. How are you doing, Father Patrick? Oh, great day here in Providence, Father Gregory. Great to be with you. Excellent. I hear that it's always sunny in Providence. Is that true? It is. And uh, to prove that it's sunny, I have every light on my room, my room on, <laughs> and I'm staring at a blank wall. So Perfect. That is the best disposition in which to take in a sunny day, at least if you're a Dominican friar. <laughs> So as we introduced in our first episode, this is God's Planning. It's uh, a podcast from the Dominican Friars here in the province of St. Joseph, a handful of us getting together to discuss uh, contemporary things uh, in a Catholic light and to bring that contemplative wisdom to bear on our everyday lives. So we're going to talk things philosophical and theological, arts, culture, whatever may come, but always with an eye to loving the Lord, to knowing him well. Uh, and to worshiping with upright hearts. Um, So today, I think we're going to uh, take a little bit of a look here at the idea of leisure. Father Patrick, when you hear the word leisure, what's your first association? Me, on a (laughs) beach, book, cigar, minus cell phone. Perfect. Okay. How's that, for an, how's that for an iconic image? I would say that is a rich image. That is, no, that is an abundantly rich image. I think leisure, leisure for most people uh, has to have, it has to have some kind of restorative element, right? So when you say leisure, I mean, I immediately think of vacation. Sure. Sometimes set away, sometime that's not marked by obligation, right? Sometime where Lots of duties are not being performed. Yeah, I think, I think too, okay. So I think a lot of people's first association with leisure is not work, right? So you have your vacation, you know, you don't have expectations. You don't even have the access to email or phone or whatever it is that would tie you down to those expectations. Hmm. Um, But I think a lot of people, or maybe some people, I should speak for myself. They have a kind of association of guilt with leisure, right? Because if you're being leisurely, it's almost like you're dawdling, you know? Um, if you're being leisurely, you're not uh, being efficient. If you're being leisurely, you're somehow not present to your work or not present to your duties. Um, and I think that that's unfortunate. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, uh, take any you know, Christian notion, uh, give it a name, and you can almost guarantee that within, <laughs> within a generation, it will mean exactly the opposite of what you intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. It is. And it's heartbreaking, you know, and like, I'm, but you can see how this is true. Like you think about, um, think about prudence, you know, prudence is this awesome virtue that has us engage uh, in right reason uh, with regard to things to be done. Uh, But when most people hear the word prudence, they think that you're like a shrewd businessman, you know, like, oh, he's prudent, you know, with his money, you know, very penny pinching and miserly. Um, So I think in this episode, we just want simply to explore the, the idea of leisure, explore the reality of leisure and all that it entails to reclaim something of that full uh, Christian vision. So right. um, let's begin then just with a little bit of discussion about, you know, who is man and what is the good life? Because our understanding of leisure is going to fit into that. So how, Father Patrick, would we go about describing the good life? What does it mean to live life well? Well, I think one of the first things that gets 
put by the wayside when people start thinking about the good life is they immediately begin filling, uh, filling ideas of what makes them happy with material things, mm. especially in our age. We're, we're, we're materialistic. And people think of the good life as having everything that they need, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of physical sense, having all of, those, all of those needs met so that there's not a sense of want. And the problem is that we are not merely bodies, we're bodies and souls. We have an intellect and a will. And that those, two, those two great faculties of the human person have to also be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they cry out for it, they long for it. And that any kind of just sensate exploration, any kind of filling of our carnal desires, um, we all know from all the experience of our own lives, fails to, fails to put us truly um, at rest, fails to put us truly at peace. So I think that what's really important when we start this conversation about leisure, leisure is to recognize, importantly, essentially what it does is meet something of a spiritual need that we all have. Yeah, I think it's it's important to kind of keep that in mind. <clears throat> so we're the type of creature, um, you know, we're set apart from the beasts on account of the fact that we have these minds with which to know and hearts with which to love. And what really defines us as human beings is bound up with with that, you know, knowing well and loving well. Um, and that's always going to involve, um, yeah, like speculative and practical things. So sometimes it's delightful just to know for knowing sake, you know. Um, and then we also have this, kind of practical dimension where sometimes we want to know for doing things. And I think um, maybe as a helpful way to focus the, the conversation, I think, I think it is sometimes a temptation to get wholly and entirely caught up in the practical um, where we become overly consumed with getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we see that? You know, where does that crop up in our world? Right. Well, oh, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, there's this equation even, I, you know, just to push that a little bit further, that in order for something to be good, it must be efficient. Mm. And that's, and that's, that's the, one, of, one of the highest evaluations that we can give to something as an American society. We say, well, is it efficient? Uh, and if it's not, then it can't be good. Mm-hmm. So I think, that, um, I think that one thing we have to be able to step away from in our own culture today is, uh, is, the, is the cult of efficiency. And to, to be able to step back from that, we have to realize that there are things which are very good, which are not efficient. Uh, so for example, I, I had a really striking experience of this in my own life when I went to dinner at a L'Arche community. Mm-hmm. Um, L'Arche is a movement, if you're unfamiliar with it, um, for people with any kind, of, any kind of disability to live in community. And in the vision of L'Arche, there aren't caretakers and people that receive care, there are simply people who live together. They're all members of the community and everyone contributes in the way that they can. So I was over uh, to a large house for dinner and I watched as one community member spent, uh, you know, let's, let, let's say over half an hour setting the dinner table. Wow. Now, if I had done that as a child, my mother would have had words for me. <laughs> 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 what are you doing spending so long setting the table? Or something like that, sorry mom, is certainly what my mother would have said. Uh, but in this community, watching this community member contribute the way that she could, it was extraordinarily beautiful and um, extraordinarily, good, extraordinarily good to see her participate in the, in the, life, uh, in the life this way. So I think we have, to, we have to cut back this idea that anything, anything in order to be good must be efficient. 
and to yeah. see that there's there's greater meaning and worth um, behind things than simply efficiency. Sure. And I think that like to speak of efficiency, it seems to suggest that the standard of human flourishing is like machinery, you know, that we are good humans to the extent that we push our bodies and our minds to the utmost and then collapse in a desiccated husk, you know, like after 70 years of contributing to the good of humanity. It's like, no, like what we are, what we are concerned with or what we're perfected by are things that are properly human and that are proper to a human culture. So we're not made to be machines. We're, cause we're, <laughs> we're not machines. <laughs> we're not machines. Um, do you have a, Father Gregory needs an oil change. Exactly. Well, that's true, but yeah, whatever. Um, you know, like we're, we're, um, we have a supernatural destiny and that changes the way that we interact with reality. Um, it's funny though, because like we, we feel almost guilty about that. We feel like we have to apologize for the fact that we, we're delighted by wasting time on each other or on delicious meals or in worship. You know, it's like, yeah, for whatever, I'm sorry. Conflicted. I'm sorry. I had to go get a full eight hours of sleep last night. <laughs> I didn't mean to not be working the rest of that time. I promise I'll work another 16 hours tomorrow to make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. For whatever reason, that's just, that's the mentality that we have adopted, whether it's, peculiarly American or whether it's peculiarly 21st century or whether it's, I don't know, maybe peculiarly post scientific and, you know, industrial revolution. It's hard to say. Um, but it, but you have to be very conscious and deliberate about building into your life, leisurely things, contemplative things. Um, so maybe we could just talk about that a little bit. Um, talk about the dimensions of a good life, the contemplative and leisurely dimensions of a good life. And I would submit to you that a, a good way to describe these is that these are the types of things for which it doesn't make sense to ask, like, to what end? Because they're the types of things that just are the end. They are the goal. They're, they're parts of what it means to be a perfect human being, what it means to flourish. So to take, like, one example, um, prayer. If you were to ask somebody, like, well, why do you pray? That's a kind of nonsensical question because you know, God extends to us the offer of friendship. He promises to save our souls so that we can live in communion with him. And so I'm just anticipating that. I'm just kind of growing into the communion that is the very substance of our lives. So it's not like we don't, we don't pray so that we become better people. Like if that happens, God be praised, but it doesn't always translate immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and we don't like, we don't pray as Dominican friars so that we can mine our prayer for cool insights with which to pepper our homilies, you know, like, you know, delightful side effect, but not the principal reason for which you sit down in front of the tabernacle. <laughs> we hope. Because <laughs> Jesus is there. And the life that we hope to live, the life that we want to live is a life of communion. It's a life of friendship. It's a life of being present to each other. Um, so yeah, that's like a first thing. What are some other, yeah, what are some other dimensions of the good life or what other things that are, are leisurely and contemplative? Right. Well, I think one of the things that we have to, uh, that we have to bring up, um, is what it's like to be in a beautiful place and how that affects you. Mm. So when I began, I made the sort of globally the allusion to being on a beach, but my goodness, you know, a natural horizon can, can be so immediately restorative, right? Um, I, I don't hike the way that Father Gregory hikes, full disclaimer. <laughs> I sort of barely meander forward. It's pretty remarkable, you know, that a human being can move, in fact, as slowly as I choose to when I'm without like a 
Exactly. And uh, Father Gregory chooses to try and destroy nature by moving through it as quickly as possible. It's, a, it's so an exercise of conquest. En- exactly. So it's to enjoy as much of it as possible, um, which I'm not accusing you of being anti-leisurely right now, by the way. It could sound like that. I'm just pointing out something between the two of us and the way that we take in nature differently. Uh, anyway, but that's to say that both of us love being outside, love being in the outdoors, um, because there's something, there's something that just seeing that kind of beauty Uh, being by the ocean, being by a lake, seeing, you know, a sunset, being on a hilltop. Um, There's something about that kind of beauty that does, that, 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 that does put the heart at rest. Um, Another, another moment is surely, is surely when people are in church, right? When people are in a beautiful church, Mm. uh, you know, many people complain. They say, well, why does the church spend so much money, you know, building nice buildings? One of my favorite responses to that question, by the way, is Dorothy Day's. Uh, she says, she asks then, well, if if we didn't build nice churches, where would the poor experience beauty? Mm. And I love that response. But I think fundamentally, the point is, if it's a, if it's a well-built church, if it's a beautiful space, don't you feel better for being inside of it? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, some, there's something restorative about that that just makes you feel good. I mean, it's a lot better. It's a lot better than just brunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although sometimes, sometimes the scenery of brunch can be delightful, right? You know, <laughs> the patio table and you have a warm sun and a bottomless mimosa or whatever. Uh, but, but there's something, there's something about, um, there's something about just the scene, especially if it's beautiful, that engenders this kind of restoration uh, that, that leads your effects in the person. I think, so what you, what you seize upon there is super important. And I have some thoughts that are kind of formulated, but not especially. So I want to tease this out. I think there's something about beauty, which is just given to you, right? It's something that kind of happens to you. When St. Thomas describes beauty, he says, we call those things beautiful, which when seen, please. So it's fascinating. He, he doesn't so much define beauty as describe what happens to us. You know, it's just we experience it and it delights us. And there's something about that where like I was I was recently at a philosophy conference uh, not too long ago uh, in the Hudson River Valley. And we were just looking downriver at these big bluffs right around West Point. And there was something about that view which was just given. And there was something about that view which was restorative yes. because I think yes. when you live in in an ugly setting or when you live in the workaday world and find it difficult to raise your head up from the plow or from the workbench, it, it can kind of seep into your thought that, um, desk, father. Oh yeah. Your workbench. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm, I'm thinking in antiquated terms. Whoops. It's daisy. Um, Chesterton. <laughs> when you lift your head from the plane and the lathe. Um, so you can begin to think that like life just is this way. You know, life is just kind of unremarkable. It's a little bit arbitrary. It's a little bit meaningless. It's just a little bit devoid of purpose, but you just got to plow through it. And then all of a sudden you see something beautiful and it just happens to you. And you realize that that reality is addressed to you, that that reality has a content and a richness and a meaning that's for you. And that saves you from those thoughts of it being, you know, void of purpose. Um, And I think that's, yeah, that, that insight with respect to beauty, I think is, is true more broadly. Like when you, when you talk about worship, you know, there's, there's, it's just so eminently true that worship is, is given to you. You know, God gives us the very grace with which to praise him. 
Um, so there's something about leisure that disposes you to receive that gift or it disposes you to receive that revelation. Right. Um, yeah. Play, play is the same way, right? Because if you're, you know, if you if you engage in a game, um, the, it leads you beyond what you, you know, what you, what you could affect by yourself or even what you can anticipate. Um, children are this way. Yeah. Uh, there was, I was with a family, uh, on the school playground and, um, one of the children is a young toddler and the toddler took a great delight in throwing sticks down the slide. <laughs> so he's at the top of the, he's at the top of the play structure and he's just launching these things down the slide. And, um, I was picking up various sticks to his mother's delight and handing them to him and he was throwing them down the slide. And the, the you know, there's just an exchange of rest um, in, in that kind of playfulness, he didn't have a purpose. He wasn't doing anything with the sticks. They were just being, they were just being sent. Um, but there were, there was some kind of exchange there that, that was much more grand than, um, you know, scrolling Twitter or something. <laughs> um, I'm reminded of a thought from Chesterton, big surprise. Um, I'm reminded <laughs> of a thought from Chesterton where he describes God's cosmic playfulness. So he, he seizes on this idea, you know, that the children are always saying again, again. And anytime you've done anything, you know, like you're swimming in the pool with your nieces and nephews and you launch the first one in the air. And then all of a sudden you have a line of nieces and nephews who are just, re just repeating, chanting again, again. Right. For hours. <laughs> exactly. And the children will always exhaust you and it will make you feel like a grown up, you know, who sits at grown up tables and talks about grown up things and shows up at parties and like discusses the roads you navigated to get there. You're like, ah, when did my life become so boring? Um, but <laughs> But after you get over that fact, um, then you kind of move on to the recognition that, that God is this way. You know, not to say that God's like a big child, but that God is, um, he says again, again. And Chesterton uses the example of the sunrise. Like, why does the sun rise every morning? You know, whatever. This, the earth revolves around the sun or it rotates on its axis. I don't know how astronomy works. Um, but... <laughs> but Chesterton says, because each morning God says again, again. And so like in the child's playfulness or just in the experience of play, there is again, this element um, of, of freedom, of gratuity, of givenness, right. That restores us uh, from the many things in life, which deplete us. Um, let's maybe like turn in that direction. So leisure yeah. is especially kind of crucial uh, at this juncture in our lives because modern life can be very depleting. Um, so maybe in your estimation, why is it that, you know, now is a, a critical time for leisure? Like what is it about this present evil age as St. Paul calls right. it, um, that, that cries out for leisure? Well, honestly, I think it's, um, I, I think the number one thing is actually distraction because all of this stuff, again, to get on my little materialist soapbox, mm. all this stuff, um, draws our hearts, uh, away from, what we were made for. And if you're worried about getting a new battery for your iPhone, you have to get in the car and go to the Apple store and wait. And then whatever, one of the shirts, whatever color they're wearing will come to you after you've waited in line. And uh, then, then the shirt will tell you a bunch of things about your phone that you didn't know. And you'll be kind of interested in them, but none of that's satisfying. And none of that really does anything for you uh, in the in the deepest sense? Um, all of that was just a way to kill five hours, <laughs> <laughs> which you'll notice at the end of it. Mm. Um, 
And you'll sort of wonder, well, where did that day go? And, um, and it's just, it's just kind of held you in a, in a hostage situation and you, you haven't been freed from it. Okay. So I, but so I think all of these things, um, things, physical things are distractions that they, that they keep our hearts from, uh, from our real purpose, that they keep us from pursuing deepest things from, from relations with relationships with people from, uh, from our, lo- our longing pursuit of God, from, uh, from, from really chasing the highest goods. For St. Thomas, uh, distraction is a, is a huge problem, right? Like curiosity is um, one of the sins against the virtue of study. Mm. And I think that distraction engenders curiosity in, um, in an obvious way, in a manifold way in our culture. And um, again, just bars, really bars our hearts from the, from the kind of satisfaction we're seeking. I think, I mean, if I were like an old curmudgeonly priest who invade against social media, this would be the time where I'd be like connectivity and the social media. Um, but I don't actually know anything about that stuff. So I'm going to, you know, stay my hand, but I do think yeah, I don't actually have a, I, I hold a rather opposite view of that. I think that there are, there are a lot of goods to be had in social media. So I just feel a need to put that out there. We're not going to chase <laughs> that down right now because that, that's a huge distraction. Woo. Okay. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about things, you know, filling our lives with things. Um, and yet, okay, so not just materialistically, like wanting things, that's, that's a little bit of a tired theme. And, uh, you know, we get that preached to us every Christmas. Um, but we do like, it's fascinating how much we like. Meaning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jesus came so that you could buy a lot of gifts for each other. So Merry <laughs> Christmas, baby. Um, <laughs> So no, but like America, <laughs> yeah, two flyers, American Eagle perched on the shoulder, waving me get stuff. Um, so, so it's while we, while we complain of being busy and distracted and overwrought and not having time for prayer or for, you know, delicious meals with our family or to dance or to whatever it is that we want to kind of cultivate in a leisurely life. Right. We find ourselves constantly like making these things for ourselves. So it's not uncommon that you'll ask somebody like, how are you? Uh, or how are things? And they will respond almost inevitably. They'll be like busy or so busy. My favorite is crazy busy, you know? And it's like, <laughs> you know, whatever. We can't make comparative claims as to how busy each of us are. There's no real sense in that because whatever you have in your life, it's going to fill your life up. Okay. Um, but like, why is it that we like saying that? You know, why do we like telling other people like, oh, yeah, I'm too crazy to like actually attend to what's important in my life. Like, what is that? Because it's better to be busy than to face the void, Father Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's either it's either it's either it's either run on the hamster wheel. Or get off the hamster wheel and stare at the depths of nothingness Mm. for most people. I mean, I think that's what they think is out there. If they stop moving, like what else will there be? Yeah. And that's not, that's not the Christian view. Yeah. That it is possible to have an interior life. And when you get off the right, like hamster wheel, of course you're going to be terrified at the prospect of this like yawning chasm of many minutes before you with which you know not what to do. And right. yet it's precisely in that moment where you can make of yourself an offering to God that you can invest in relationships in a quality way that you can pursue the arts of the beautiful, you know, that you can live a life that's really human um, rather than like the life of a machine. 
It is, it is strange though. Like, I, I like this image getting off the wheel, right? Your little hamster legs are tired <laughs> and you don't know how to stand. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. all you've been doing is running and you don't know, you don't know how to be steady. Um, it's a little bit like when uh, scuba divers get the bends from coming up too quickly mm. uh, because we've been, we've been down in, down in the depths of, you know, this kind of total occupation of mind uh, that, that you have to, you have to be ready to come up. You have to, you have to be ready to uh, to practice leisure. It's something. It's something that can be done well. Um, that requires virtue um, to be made. Uh, you know, to be made to be to be made something that you can enter into readily. So, how about kind of wind down the episode? Um, let's get practical and talk about maybe some ways to incorporate leisure into our lives, or maybe ways to examine our hearts. You know, like whether or not we're we're really engaging well with the opportunities for leisure and how we can better acknowledge them, how we can better address them and how we can claim back a really truly human existence um, and, and keep at arm's length this temptation to be in the hamster wheel. So um, maybe just the first thing is to take stock of, am I comfortable with being alone or am I comfortable with being silent? I think a lot of people have the experience maybe let's say you had a full day at work and then you had some early evening engagements and then you come back, maybe say it's like eight 30, you know, people have eaten dinner and you know, everyone has gotten the chores done that they need to get done, but it's not quite time for bed. Like, what do you do with that time? You know, I think that's a good time to actually confront it. So what do you do with that time? Please don't put on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I beg you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's going to be a perennial temptation because there's nothing easier than just pushing play the next episode and then turning off your mind, right? Kind of vacating your responsibility to be a human being. So you can just kind of take a kind of sensate pleasure in whatever is being presented. And, you know, we try to console ourselves with the fact that like, oh yeah, I watch like very intelligent TV shows, you know, like, but they're still TV shows, right? Um, Documentaries. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, biopics. Yes, our planet is on. <laughs> um, See my concern for the environment. Uh, so like concretely, what are some things that one could do with that time? Thoughts, hopes? Well, <laughs> I think that, I think that one of the keys is understanding how important reading is. Mm. Um, there are, there are a lot of people that, that, um, talk about frustrations with prayer and prayer is one of those things where for most of us it's an input output game and if you're not putting things in to be contemplated contemplation is not going to come out mm. so have um, have good reading have good reading not just um, n- not just uh, the scriptures even though that's extraordinary uh, but good good spiritual reading and even good literature um, can can indu- can induce and can invite this. Uh, so I think that's really important. I think having having the book marked. Okay, I know what book I'm going to read. I've researched the book. I've read a couple of reviews. I kind of know what it's about. I've got mm-hmm. it out on my nightstand where there's a light that I can turn on. You know, just just make it comfortable, such that there would be no excuses not to pick up the book. I'm going to uh, add to that. Okay, so how about at a certain time? you, uh, we try or one tries, whoever tries not to look at screens beyond a certain time. And then until a certain time the next morning. So like religious life, you know, you pray Compline, depending on which house you're in, you pray Compline at like 9 PM. You don't look at your phone. You don't look at your computer after Compline and you don't look at it again until after mass the next morning. Right. So you have a time in the evening 
where you are uh, kind of away from the workaday world. You're away from the stimulation of those things, which often suck you in and draw you in and make you more so passive than a real agent in your life of contemplation and leisure, right? And, it, and that'll really afford a space for reading before you go to bed, right? For praying when you wake up. Um, and another practical application, don't ever let it be said that Dominicans are not practical. Um, get an alarm clock. I know that like 99.9% .9 of people use their phone as their alarm, but when you use your phone as your alarm, the first thing that you do is you're engaging with your phone and then it's a kind of temptation to check your email or look at the NBA free agency or to look at, you know, stocks, whatever. I don't know what people do with their phones. Um, but like, but to just, just to keep one little, you know, just, just to have a separation from that, at least initially. So it's not the first thing that you do. Yep. I think pursuing friendships that you can engage leisurely activities in is also really important. So finding people to do rest truly restorative things with um, is, is something that will really help, you know, finding people that want to go, I don't know, dancing with you or that will go on the hike with you and are comfortable with your turtle pace or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, or pe people, people that will do people that will do things that are, that are truly great for us. Yeah. So you don't have to get caught in a rut of just, you know, going to a movie every time or contenting yourself with like kind of low grade entertainment, you know, like host dinner parties, you know, have hilarious and somewhat farcical, but delightful poetry readings, you know, to honor this, that, or the other poet consonant with your ethnic tradition. Um, you know, like find somebody in your immediate vicinity. Place. Yeah, <laughs> now we're talking. It's not an episode until Pictionary is mentioned. Um, you know, but like we joke about these things, but truth be told, I think a lot of us want to do them. We're just embarrassed to propose it as an option among our friends because it's like, wow, that guy's a punk. It's something that, that I feel like I learned in religious life because we were intentionally committed to this in formation. Um, it was really, you know, <laughs> we had some really great evenings dedicated to uh, human formation slash recreation slash leisure. <laughs> Slash forced fun, as we may have called it at certain times in our life. So, and then like once these things kind of come to be in place, certain obstacles that used to be absolutely insurmountable for us, you know, like waiting in traffic or like um, being delayed in a particular work project or, um, you know, having to wait somewhere without access to a book or your phone, you know, like they don't represent the same kind of assault on our sensibilities that they once did. Because when you live a life of leisure, you're just more comfortable in your own skin. You know, you can, mm. you can think about God and you can think about your friendships and you can think about your thoughts because you have an interior life. You have a place of repose. You have a place where you can retreat, um, and encounter something deeply rich and human and life-giving, um, which is just, which is awesome. I mean, it, it beats, uh, beats the alternative in, uh, in significant ways. <laughs> <sighs> well, hopefully we haven't sounded like two grumpy old men yelling at you to get off our lawn. <laughs> we, yeah. hope that we, we hope that we've provided something to the youths. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, life is good. Um, so with that, I think we'll, uh, we'll wind down. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, pray for us. We pray for you. Until the next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.